Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing this morning, guys? We're doing good. So good to see you today. So good to be home. Had an awesome week in El Salvador this past week. We gathered 300 pastors across the country, did a one-day conference in each of the three major cities, and came together around this idea that, that we're getting it right as a church when we're staying absolutely true to the Word of God, and we are being relevant to the culture we're trying to reach. Those two things kind of live in tension sometimes, <clears throat> but the fact is you can be true to the Word of God and have no relevance whatsoever in the culture, and you're not going to have influence. Or you can get so involved in the culture that they change you instead of you changing them, and you abandon the Word of God in the process. But what if you get both of those right, then you release God's power to make a difference in the world. So we had about 300 pastors and church leaders coming together in San Miguel, Santa Ana, San Salvador. And it's just a wonderful week. I'm a little jet lagged this morning, but we're wrapping up a series that I hope has been meaningful to you. I'm excited about this message. I hope you'll lean into it. For those of you that are new, and also to get the wheels turning for all of us, we've been calling it fake news, lies we believe. And what we've been talking about is those counterfeit ideas, counterfeit truths that Satan brings to us in order to bring us down. Now, the bottom line is there's only two philosophies of life available. There is Jesus who said, I came to give you life and that life more abundantly, more fulfilling. And Satan who came to steal, kill, and destroy that. That's really the only two options when it comes down to the bottom line. And so what we've been asking ourselves is my worldview, my understanding of the world, more defined by Christ or the culture? Am I, which side am I choosing? What am I doing? So just one more time, let's look at the definition of a worldview and make sure we're all on the same page together. Here we go. It's on the screens. The overall, read it with me. Here we go. The overall perspective from which one sees and interprets the world, a collection of beliefs about life, and the universe held by an individual or a group, that system of beliefs through which you filter everything else. You have a worldview. Uh, the only question is, is it biblical? Is your worldview defined by the Word of God, by Christ, or by culture? And so as we wrap this message up, I've been telling you throughout the whole series, we're looking at a different counterfeit truth every week. Well, we could go on for weeks and weeks and weeks talking about counterfeit truths. So today, I just want to give you a lie detector. I want to give you a tool that will help you to evaluate every idea in your worldview and those ideas that are brought to you uh, as, as potential parts of your worldview so that you can make sure that you are, in fact, leaning into the life that Jesus is, on, uh, is offering as opposed to falling into the trap of death that Satan very much wants you uh, to have. Now, now, let's just be real honest, okay? Let's just mean you for a minute. Let me just whisper this to you, and you don't tell anybody I said it, okay? The reality is there are an awful lot of people that have decided to follow Jesus, but they've never found the abundant life. They've never found that fulfillment that they thought they would find in Jesus. Am I right? You know anybody like that? I mean, don't look at them, but you, I mean, it's just true. And so I think there's a reason, and the reason is that, uh, that we have to make sure that we're not falling into the traps that Satan has for us. Now, it's a good news, bad news situation. The good news is Satan only has three tools in his entire toolbox. He's only got three. In fact, the Bible tells us very clearly what they are. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 from the King James, here we go. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh... The lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. So there are three things. You see the three of them? It is the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the only three tools that Satan has 
to bring this death, to steal this life from us. In fact, let me put it in chart form because here, here's what you need to understand is that these are not only the only three tools he has, but he's been using them since the beginning of time. So it's just a little chart. It's up on the screens. Here it's on the TV. Let's look at it. It's in your app if you want to go to the Bridge Church, the Bridge NC app, and you can get that on the app and save it for yourself uh, for future use. But there's, there's, you see his toolbox. There are three temptations that he used. Each of them has something to do with your worldview. There's a key word. And then I'll give you a couple of examples from Scripture. Just right quick, let me unpack this chart for you. And, and then, I'll just, then we're going to unpack this and how do we apply this in our lives. This is your lie detector, okay? What did we just say? Lust of the flesh. Say it with me. Lust of the eyes. Pride of life. Those are the only three tools he has. The worldview for each of those, we can go to the next chart. The, the worldview for the first one is hedonism. The key word is indulgence. I'm going to indulge myself. It's all about pleasure. It's all about I want what I want when I want it. I'm not going to deal with life. I'm going to escape to the next party. I, I, and just, I, you know, it's all about pleasure. Is anything wrong with pleasure? Somebody say no, quick. The Bible says Jesus came enjoying life. Nothing wrong with pleasure. In fact, I'll give you a quick warning, and I won't charge you any extra for it. If you don't build some healthy pleasures into your life, you'll eventually fall for some unhealthy ones. That's why one of the ten biggies is take a day off. <laughs> you know, six days shalt thou labor, and one day rest. If you don't build some healthy ones in, Satan will trip you with some unhealthy ones. But understand that that, uh, that from the beginning of time, this is what God, uh, what Satan has used. Adam and Eve, when, when uh, Satan came to, to Eve, uh, this is one of the tools that she used. Go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 6 sometime in your private devotion and read through it through this lens. Look at the chart and read through it. He said, hmm, she saw that this was good for food and that her eyes would be opened. And so he, he told her, hmm, this is going to be good. You're, you're going to like the way this tastes. Temptation number two, we'll go to the next one, is lust of the eyes. Next chart, there we go. Lust of the eyes, the worldview is materialism. The key word is increase. I want more, I want more, I want more. We're talking about acquisitions. We're talking about getting stuff. Howard Hughes was asked how much is enough, and he said a little more. That's just, you know, it's a point at which you, you, you just can't have enough. Anything wrong with having stuff? No, of course not. God blesses us with stuff, and we enjoy our stuff. Nothing wrong with it. The problem is when you buy into what I call when-then thinking. When I finally have this new car, then I'll finally be content. When I finally have this car, house, I will, then I will finally be content. When I finally have that new wardrobe, then. When I finally have, when I have, when I have, when I have, and it, it just isn't true. All of it is a counterfeit truth. There's some truth in it. Nothing wrong with stuff. But ultimately, it is Satan trying to keep you from the abundant life that Jesus has promised you. Temptation number three, ready for the next chart? What was the third one? It is the pride of life. The worldview is narcissism, and the key word is impress, this desire to impress. We're talking about popularity. We're talking about this desire to be liked by people around you. Anything wrong with being liked? No, we like to be liked. We, you know, nobody likes it when somebody don't like you, and if you do, then... You might have some sociopathic tendencies we need to address. We like to be liked, but when we are driven to be liked, when image is everything, when we find ourselves going through life thinking, how do I look? How do I look? How am I being perceived right now? Uh, you set yourself up to never have the abundant life, to never find the fulfillment that you 
uh, that you long for. And so when that happens, can we go back to the main chart? Anytime you find yourself stuck in this thing, just realize that those are the tools that Satan has used. From the beginning of time, again, in your devotions, go back to Genesis chapter 3 sometime, verse 6, and you'll see that that's what he used with Adam and Eve. He said it's good for food, it's pleasing to the eye, and you're going to become like gods if you do this. Three tools. When Jesus was, went 40 days into the wilderness before he started his public ministry, those are the three tools that he used against Jesus. Same three tools. He, he said to him, you know, it, 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 you're hungry. You've been fasting for four days. Why don't you turn these, this bre- the, these stones into bread? He said, you know, I, if you'll just worship me, I'll give you all this stuff. He said, you know what? Up at this high peak, if you're really God, you can fly. Why don't you just step off and show me that you're God? You see what he's doing? It's the same three temptations that he used in the garden, that he used against Jesus. But hear me, the same power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus used to conquer the devil is available to you. The same power of the same Holy Spirit is available to you. You don't have to fall into his traps. I said it's a good news, bad news situation. The good news is he's only got three traps. The bad news is he doesn't need any more because they seem to still be working. Because we keep falling into the same traps over and over and over and over again. So here's what I want to do. This is your lie detector. Promised you a lie detector. Here it is. Take this chart, learn this chart, put it on your refrigerator to remind yourself every time you're going to get one more bowl of ice cream or whatever it is, uh, that Jesus came to give you life. And that life in all its fullness, Satan came to steal, kill, and destroy it. And anytime you buy into one of his counterfeit truths, one of his lies, you just lost out ultimately on the fulfilling life that you signed up for when you gave your life to Jesus Christ. So in the few minutes we've got, I want to I help you apply this lie detector. I just want to help you kind of uh, make this a part of your life by telling you four things that you can do to outsmart the devil. He is not smarter than you. He is not a creative force. Uh, he's persistent. He's consistent. Uh, but, but he's the father of lies. And greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. You can win over these three temptations in the power of the Holy Spirit, but there's some things you're going to have to do if you want to, okay? Is that worth a few minutes of our time today? Okay, God bless you guys. Thanks for saying yes. Otherwise, i got nothing else to talk about today. So let's get into it, okay? There are four things you want to do, got to do, need to do, if you're going to outsmart the devil. And number one, this is pretty straightforward stuff, guys, but it might be the nosebleed sermon, okay? This is the bottom line stuff. If you really want to outsmart the devil and get life, not death, you've got to pick a side. You've you got to pick a side. 1 John 2.15 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, well wait, what are you, you're telling me I can't love, people are in the world, you're telling me I can't love people? No, that's not what he's saying. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's not what he's saying at all. He's talking about the world system. The Greek word is the word cosmos. And cosmos, we get the word cosmetics from it, okay? 
And so what he's talking about is the, is the system, the way you organize things. I don't understand all about cosmetics. Obviously, some people are better at arranging things than others, but uh, that's, we're talking about how things are set up so that you can see them. So what he's talking about is the value system. He's talking about the way things are organized in the world, and he's saying don't love the world's value system. Don't love the way the world, the culture does things, no matter how appealing it may be, no matter which one of the three tools that Satan is using to trick you into believing this is good, don't buy into it. Don't love it. Pastor Jim paraphrased then of that verse is don't love the values of the world system because you can't have divided loyalties. You just can't love God's system and the world system at the same time. You understand that's why when Jesus was asked to sum it all up, the religious leaders of his day had taken the Ten Commandments and had unpacked them in 800 pages of text. And they thought they'd trap him by saying, yeah, pick the best one. And he didn't hesitate. He didn't blink. He said, here, here's the best one right here. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 and 7. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. And what does all include when you see it in the Bible? It, it's everything. This is the first and greatest commandments. Hear me, guys. There are believers, followers of Jesus Christ, people who stepped across the line of faith, asked Jesus to forgive them of their sin and give them a fresh start, but they want to love God with part of their heart. They want to love Him but still have some relationship with the world. The allure of what I call the three Ps, possession, personality, and and position, creates these divided loyalties in their hearts. And I need to tell you, if you're fighting that battle right now, it doesn't work. It doesn't ultimately work. James said an indecisive man is unstable in all his ways. A doubtful man is unstable in all his ways. Well, I hear you, Pastor Jim, but, you know, I, I want to love God, but I want the good life too, you know. So, so I'll love God, just maybe not with my whole heart. I mean, come on, this is a little over the top, and I'll just love, you know, I'll love him. I just won't necessarily make him the center of all of my, my values. I'll put him on my team. I had a guy tell me that one time. He said, Jim, I, I thought you'd be excited to know. Uh, he was a big sports nut, and he said, I, you'd be excited to know, I have decided to put Jesus on my team. And I said, well, I'm glad to hear that, Stephen. Um, when's he going to become general manager of your team? <laughs> and he went, I mean, it had never occurred to him that that's what we're talking about. But guys, is that how love works? Three weeks before I met Kim, I told her brother, um, I am not settling down. He was getting serious about who, uh, the lady that ultimately became his wife. And I said, well, I'm happy for you, man, but I am not settling down. I love playing the field. I am a bumblebee, and there are so many flowers in the garden. It would be wrong of me to limit myself to one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was me. And, uh, and then three weeks later, I met Kim. Uh, and I was almost instantly consumed. I couldn't think of anything else or anyone else. I, you know, when she, when she wasn't there, I couldn't help but thinking about her. That was 43, almost 44 years ago, and ain't nothing changed yet. I mean, when we're apart, it, it, it's hard for me. It's hard for me. Yeah. 
And the result of that is that we are both stronger because of it. Because we made that all-in commitment to each other, uh, February be 43 years ago, we are stronger. And yes, life has had its high points and its low points, but we've gotten through the low points together and we've celebrated the high points together because of that level of commitment. I told you all of that to say this. What do you think would have happened 43 and a half, 44 years ago when I asked her to marry me, if I had said, you know, I love you so much. Oh, I'm so glad you've come into my life. I love you so much. If you will marry me, I will be faithful to you every Monday. You know, I love you, but there are other ladies out there, you know. I just, you know, Well, if any of you know Kim, no, she would have decked me. She would have just, boom, you know, forget about it, buddy. But hear me, guys, that's exactly what some Christians are saying to God. I'll give you my Sunday morning, but when I get back out there on Monday, I've got a whole other, you know, I've got my Sunday life, and then I've got my Monday through Saturday life. Come on. And I need, to, I need you to hear me say, maybe you ought to tweet it just to remind yourself, but partial faithfulness is not faithfulness at all. Partial faithfulness is not faithfulness at all. He said, love God with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength. You need to understand. God loves you unconditionally and completely and consistently. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. All he asks is for us to commit to the same thing back. Does that seem fair to you? Seems fair to me. In fact, here's how James, I call it the nosebleed book of the Bible, James chapter 4, verse 4, you're like an unfaithful wife who loves her husband's enemies. Don't you realize that making friends with God's enemies, i.e. the evil pleasures of this world, makes you an enemy of God? You understand what James is saying? I mean, as directly as I can imagine it can be said, he's saying God is a term for believers for whom the world values are equal to or greater than God's values in their minds, and he calls it spiritual adultery. Sure, I want a relationship with God, but I want my time, I want my energy, I want my resources to go to the good life. God calls that spiritual adultery. And what you may not realize is that when you buy into those ideas, when you commit your time and talent and treasures to the stuff of this world, when you listen to the counterfeit truths that Satan's whispering in your ears, you sometimes forget or gets clouded over that his agenda is not to help you. His agenda is to steal, kill, and destroy you. And that's the path that you're going on when you try to do the divided loyalty thing. And I hope all of you are saying, amen, yay, amen, because you ain't in this. I'm preaching to the choir this morning. But if there's any chance any one of you in this room or online is recognizing that you've been falling prey to one of the three, that you've given time, talent, and treasures to possessions and positions and popularity and that kind of stuff, that you'll wake up and say, whoa, wait a minute, I get it. Partial faithfulness is not really faithfulness. And that you will pick a side. Pick a side. The second thing you have to do if you want to develop a biblical worldview and ultimately enjoy this life that Jesus came to give you, is you've got to develop some strong convictions. 
<clears throat> once you've picked a si- <clears throat> excuse me, once you've picked a side, you have to develop some strong convictions. People who impact the world for good live by conviction, not by convenience. Amen. A cliche way to say it, but it's still true: is if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything, right? And and there's a lot to fall for today. There's a lot of clever lies out there today. They fall into one of three categories we've already talked about. But you need to develop some strong convictions in order to counteract those things. So let's see what the Bible says. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 is perhaps a familiar passage to some of you. I like the way that Phillips paraphrases it. Here we go. Don't let the world squeeze you into its own mold, but let God remake you so your whole attitude of mind is changed. What's he saying? You ever, been, you ever felt squeezed by the world to do things a certain way? You felt pressure from the world to do things a certain way? Let me ask you this way. You ever done something you didn't want to do just because everybody around you was doing it? Let me ask it another way. You ever been in high school? (laughs) How many of you agree with me that peer pressure is a powerful force on teenagers? Yeah. How many believe it stops when you get older? No. No. God says living for the approval of others guarantees death. So how do you you avoid peer pressure from getting the best of you? How how do you rise above that, get past that, that ultimately squeezes you into their mold? How do you avoid that? The answer is you get the big picture. You think eternally, not temporally. You you think long-term, not short-term. Term. I mean, we live in a world that's hung up on the present. What, what do you got for me now? We want instant gratification. We want instant breakfast. We want instant mashed potatoes. And we want it to taste like the real thing. That's what we want. And, and it, does, it doesn't work that way. God says that if you really want to counteract that, you've got to take the long view. You've got to look at values and priorities in the light of eternity and to develop some strong convictions based on that long-term view. 1 John 2, 17, the world and its desires will what? Will pass away. This stuff isn't going to last. And so if you buy into the short-term thinking, say, yeah, well, I have some popularity for a while, or I'm gonna, I'll get this possession, and I'll enjoy this new car, or this new house, or this new whatever it is, or, or man, people, you know, people will put me in a position, and they'll look up to me. It doesn't last, guys. It doesn't last. If you don't believe it, answer me this. Who was on the cover of People magazine last month? We don't know. Now hear me. We all know, we all agree that peer pressure is incredibly hard on teenagers. We've agreed to that. In fact, researchers have done the research and they've come to the conclusion that, that as our brains form and develop over the years, that that part of the brain that thinks long term typically doesn't develop until you're in your 20s, maybe mid-20s. And so teenagers do need a lot more accountability. They need more uh, guidance. They need more direction. They need more help in making their decisions. That's why teenagers think they're invincible and they do all kinds of crazy things because nothing can happen to me because that part of their brain hasn't developed. What I'm saying to you is, okay, we get that, but there's a time to grow up and move past that stage in your life and ask yourself the question, is popularity worth selling my soul for? 
is doing something that is not right just to ensure popularity or, or, or for a moment or, or to have one more possession for a moment. Is that short-sighted or long-sighted? Most importantly, if I go down this road, where is it going to take me? You've got to develop some strong convictions that are based in long-term, even eternal thinking. One of my favorite contemporary songs from, from, from many years ago was Twyla Paris. Some of you remember Twyla. And the line from her song that I've rehearsed in my head many times over the years was, he is no fool who gives up something he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. You're not being foolish if you give up popularity or possessions or position because you can't keep it anyway and hold on to eternal life that's available through Jesus Christ. Just a little side note before we move on to the third element in this thing. It's, you understand that's one of the reasons that, that we put emphasis on bridge groups, on our small groups systems, because one of the things that you need in order to develop those convictions and then hold to those convictions is you need some positive peer pressure to counteract the negative peer pressure that's tagging at you all the time. You need to be in those settings. The third thing we do then is we evaluate everything. We pick a side. Hopefully, you're picking the winning side, the life side. Then you develop some convictions, and then you start evaluating everything through your convictions. You, you use the mind that God gave you. You don't buy into everything you see and everything you hear. I mean, they don't lie on the Internet, right? Right? So then you watch a TV show, and the whole time you're watching, you're asking yourself the question, what are the, what are the suppositions behind this show? What are the values that they're teaching in this program? What's being promoted here? What's the agenda behind what the writers and the actors are doing? And hear me, guys, if you don't do that, if you don't engage your mind with whatever level of entertainment that you lean into, and again, I said pleasures are fine, but if you don't engage your mind in those processes, you will become desensitized to what you're seeing, and you won't even realize how far down the road you've gone. Most of you know that Kim and I spent most of the 80s, 81 to 89, in the Philippines planting churches, and we came home in 1989, uh, you know, gone for four years, came in for a short time, gone for four years, and came back, and, and we had some limited television uh, and movies there, not much, and so pretty much didn't keep up with that kind of stuff until we came back in the late 80s and we turned on the television and we couldn't believe what we were watching. How did we get from where we were in 1980 to where we are in 1990? And then we started going to churches and we're hearing, we were hearing Christians talk about the programs that we had watched or seen part of and said, no, can't do that. And telling the storylines and laughing and saying, there's a wonderful story. Oh, that's a great show. You ought to watch that show. And I'm going, how did you get here? In one decade, how did the world get here? It's because if you don't challenge everything, you'll get desensitized to it. And before you know it, you'll be buying into things that you never dreamed you'd ever buy into. That's why Paul told the church at Thessalonica in chapter 5, verse 21 and 2. Here we go. Test everything. Hold on to the good, 
And what's the good? It's those convictions that you've developed from the Word of God and then avoid all evil. So we came back from the Philippines. We're confronted by this stuff. We didn't have a clue. You know, in those days, we wouldn't get cable because there was so much stuff on cable. And then we finally had to get cable because there was so much junk on network. We had to get cable. And now we just dumped it all. I mean, it's just, you get to this place where you're just bombarded by these things that you don't want to be bombarded by. So when he says test everything, does he mean TV? Somebody say yes. Does he mean movies? Yes. Does he mean magazines? Yes. Does he mean uh, in the Internet? Yes. I mean, w- w- what does everything include? Talk shows? Websites? Preachers? Yeah. So what's the standard of evaluation? It's the Word of God. Hear me, guys. The Bible has outlasted every culture in human history. And culture has an amazing way of making it look like it's outdated, making it look like it doesn't understand, and then that culture falls apart and a new one comes on the scene, and the Bible and its principles have survived through every one of those cultures. It has an indisputable track record. It's the only thing that never changes. And again, that's why we emphasize small groups, because if the only teaching you ever gets on a Sunday morning, it would be like the, you only eat one meal a week in the natural. I mean, how healthy would you be if you ate once a week? What are the odds you're going to? Just a side question. It's one of the reasons we emphasize small groups. In fact, uh, we're making a dramatic change. Those of you that are involved in small groups, certainly our small group leaders, we're making a dramatic change in the way we do small groups launching this fall uh, so that we can help you to develop your biblical worldview wherever you are in your season of life. In fact, we're starting a whole new series uh, next Sunday. We're calling The Journey of Life, and we're going to be walking through the process of, of moving from a fully devoted follower of Christ to a fully mature follower of Christ. We're going to spend the rest of our summer into September talking about that subject and figuring out where we are in our maternity process and how to move forward. But our small groups are getting completely revamped around that process to help you. So come September, we're going to have a catalog of all the groups that we offer and the topics that are included that are being offered. And, And then in October, November, December, those groups will meet. Then again in January, we'll circulate a catalog with all the groups that we're going to offer. And then in February, March, and April, those groups will meet. So we're moving to a semester system for small groups that's specifically designed to help disciple you, to help you grow in your faith. And we're going to offer men's groups and women's groups and co-ed groups. And we're going to offer special topic kind of groups like marriage and family. And, you know, and I was broken, now I'm not. And, and all those kind of Uh, special interest groups that we've been offering in the past. We're also going to offer book studies, book of the Bible studies, uh, survey, book Bible survey. There's going to be a whole range of subjects. And then you pick the subject that best fits where you are in your spiritual life so that you can learn what you need to learn in order to develop the conviction so you can have the the ability to to evaluate everything when it comes along. Does Does that sound worth your time? And then you're not making a commitment for the rest of your life to be in a bridge group. You're making a commitment for one semester. End of that semester, you have a chance to sign up again for another semester. Well, I love my group. I want to stay in my group. Fine. Sign up for the same group every time. I don't care. 
but we're going to try to create a system here where everybody can be a part, everybody can get involved, and we're being intentional about how we do discipleship. You'll hear a lot more about this. I wanted to introduce it to you today. Pastor Andy, of course, is leading the charge on all of that. Our bridge group leaders are already thinking about and processing through the the, uh, the, the subjects that they're going to be doing in their small groups uh, because we want to help you develop a biblical worldview. We want to help you mature. We want to help you make sure that you are influencing the culture, not the other way around. If you want to do that, if you want the life that Jesus has promised you, you've got to pick a side, you've got to develop your convictions, and then you've got to evaluate everything. The thir- fourth step then in this journey, and we'll bring this to a close, is whatever you do, don't try to win this battle on your own. Don't don't try to do this by yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Say that phrase with me. They have divine power to demolish strongholds. Okay, here we go. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. What's he talking about? We're going we're to evaluate those things that are coming to us. We're going to evaluate everything, test everything, hold on to that which is good, and avoid evil. And we demolish those counterfeit truths that Satan is throwing at us. And we, what does it say? Take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's the journey. That's the process. If you want to apply the lie detector that I gave you, the way you do that is you pick a side, you develop some strong convictions, you decide I'm going to evaluate everything through the lens of the Word of God and the convictions that I've developed in the Word of God, and then I'm going to depend on God's power to help me get there. Don't try to do this by yourself. It says we don't fight like the world does willpower, if, if it was enough, you'd already be fully mature. You wouldn't be having the battles that you have. Willpower won't get you there. It takes God's power, and here's what God's power does. Divine power demolishes strongholds. Now, what's a stronghold? In Old West days, when the pioneers came, uh, they came into a, a, an area. They found out there were hostiles in the area, so what would they do? Anyone you know your history? They'd build a fort, Right? And that fort was designed to protect themselves from the hostiles that were coming after them. And so a stronghold was designed for their protection and to to keep whatever is on the inside protected. In spiritual terms, a stronghold is any area of your heart that you're holding back for yourself to isolate it for yourself. And in some cases, it's a pet sin. Hello, is anyone out there? In some cases, it's a hurt that you want to hold on to. In some cases, it's bitterness because you haven't forgiven yet. In some cases, it's an idea that somebody taught you in the past that doesn't line up with the Scripture, but you trust the person that taught you, and you're afraid they'll be offended if you let go of that. I mean, it's a whole lot of things can be strongholds. But when they become that isolated, fortified area of your heart, then you can't honestly say, I'm loving God with all of my heart, my mind, my strength. So you identify those strongholds and you trust God to help you 
crush them, get rid of them. I, you know, and every time I, I, I discover one of those, and I've been doing this, you know, I, I gave my life to Jesus Christ in 1970. You do the math. Uh, it's a long journey. And every year I discover a new area of my life that I go, oh, man, i got to work on that this year, don't I? Over and over and over again, my whole life has been a journey of, of finding out that there's a stronghold that I didn't know about and saying, I don't want it. I do not want that in my life. I want everything to be his. I want to love him with all my heart and all my mind and all my strength. So God, demolish that stronghold in my heart. And then when Satan comes back, because hear me, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, he doesn't leave you alone. If anything, he cranks up his attacks, right? Because if he's got you, he ain't worried about you, all right? When, when you take, pick a side and it's Jesus, then he's going to come after you. So be aware of the fact that he's going to plant thoughts in your head. He's going to plant doubts in your head. He's going to come after you. The battleground for winning this war is your thought life. It's in what's in your brain. So when Satan dangles a thought and says, hmm, doesn't that look good? People are going to like you if you do that. You're going to have stuff if you do that. You're going to get positions if you do that. When he dangles that stuff, take that thought captive. Don't let it linger. Somebody said, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. <laughs> so I'm just, I'm, and, and I don't have time to teach this, but, but you've maybe heard me talk about it before. I'll talk about it again. You can't resist a thought. You have to replace it. You find something else to think about. Say, I'm not going that. I'm not going down that road. I'm going to do this instead. Put some praise music on. Call a friend. Get in a small group. Say, guys, here's something I'm struggling with. Help me break free. I want to captive this thought. I don't want it to continue to be in my head. I've got to close. But you've got the lie detector now. Only three tools that Satan's been using since the beginning of time. And if you want to use that lie detector, you've got to pick a side. You've got to develop this biblical worldview, develop some convictions based on Scripture. You've got to evaluate everything that you let in on the basis of does it fit, and then ultimately uh, win the battle for your mind by letting God demolish those strongholds in your heart. Philippians 1, 9, and 10 is my closing thought, my closing prayer for you. And this is my prayer, Paul wrote, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I wish there was a way that I could show you how bad I want that for you. That you would pick a side, that you would develop biblical convictions, that you would evaluate everything that comes at you through that lens, and you let God demolish strongholds in your life so that one day, having lived this fulfilling life, you will be presented to him blameless. That's what I want for you. Can I pray for that for you now? Father, thank you for loving us and thank you for, <clears throat> for knowing how fallible we are. <clears throat> thank you for the way you love us even when we get it wrong. But help us today, Lord, to take an honest look at ourselves. To ask ourselves the question, <clears throat> do I keep falling 
into Satan's traps, even though they're consistent, they're recognizable? Do I keep letting pride rear up and define my choices in life? Do I keep letting my desire to be popular rise up? Do I keep letting my desire for more stuff rise up? Do I keep letting that stuff happen to me? And then I make choices based on that. Does that happen to me? Lord, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord, and help me to have a fresh start again today. Thank you that you're the God of the second chance or the 90-second chance. Wherever I am, Lord, fresh starts are available in you. And then help me to make these choices. Ultimately, the fulfilling life that you promised and then presented to you one day, pure and blameless, covered by the blood and grace of Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask you to join me in that prayer. So keep your heads bowed for just a minute and your eyes closed. I don't want anybody looking around. This is just a quiet moment. We're early. We're not late. You've got plenty of time to get on with your day. So let's just pause here. Reflect on where we are. I realize in a place like this, on a day like this, there's some of you here, some of you watching online that you've never picked a side. Well, if I ask you, are you a Christian, you might have said, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to such and such a church, or I grew up in such and such a church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. But in your heart of hearts, when I say partial faithfulness is not faithfulness at all, you know you've never really picked a side. We're not here to beat you up about that. We're here to say, come on. The fulfilling life is on the other side of picking Jesus. Come go with us on this journey. I'm going to get it right sometimes and get it wrong sometimes, and you are too. But together, the power of God, we can find that fulfilling life and eternal life. So would you pray a simple prayer with me? Maybe you've never prayed a prayer like this in your whole life. Maybe you have. and. You kind of backburnered all this stuff for a season, but here you are, and God's speaking to you right now. Pray silently, pray aloud. It's up to you, but pray it in your own words, but let it go something like this. Jesus, I need, I need a fresh start, and I want to be on your side this time. All in, all in. I'm just not holding anything back. I choose to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Much like the marriage ceremony when I said, I do, I will, and now I'm married, I will, Jesus. I will follow you. I am yours. Forgive me for the way I have failed you, failed to live up to your consistent love. Give me a fresh start today. I want to be born again, here and now, just like you promised I could be. Father, you know who's praying. You know what's going on in their hearts. Maybe they prayed a prayer like that many times over the years. Maybe it's the first time, but wherever they are, would you let them know that you love them, 
that if we confess our sins, you will forgive us our sins. Give us a fresh start. And then for all of us, a prayer that I want all of us to pray together. A prayer that goes like this, according to the commitments that we're making today. Just pray with me. Lord, I choose you. Say it out loud, say it silently. I don't care, but Lord Jesus, I choose you. Now, Lord, help me to develop convictions that are based in the Word of God, the truth. I don't want to believe counterfeit truths, lies. I want to believe the truth. Then give me the wisdom, the accountability, the help to evaluate everything through the lens of your Word, the Bible. And when I discover an area of my life that doesn't line up with Scripture, demolish that stronghold in me. I don't want it. Present me blameless before Christ in the final day. Father, you know who's praying across this room, across the planet, online. I pray that you would make yourself very real to us in this moment. In Jesus' name.